You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Gotham, which is not just where Bruce Wayne is from. Apparently it is a small town in Wisconsin uh, to the west of Madison. And I guess kind of like equidistance uh, to Madison and La Crosse. Had no idea that it existed, but shout out to our listeners hanging out at our uh, ESPN affiliate in Gotham. Uh, I haven't been out there yet, but I'll have to check it out. So shout out to all of you. And then also shout out to Frank Madden, founder of brewhoop.com and my good friend and the, the proud hiring manager of our new production intern, which people seem to enjoy. Um, and you sent out an adorable picture of you and Matilda recording the podcast last night. So I yeah. appreciate you for that. And also for not making a video chat, because if it was a video chat, I would have just been making funny faces the whole time and not paying attention. <laughs> you know, not, not all kids love pacifiers. Um, but if you're, if your young child, uh, is soothed by pacifiers, um, that that pacifier is like the most valuable weapon you have <laughs> in fighting um, restlessness and crankiness. Um, and so, if you if there had been a camera on me, what you would have seen would be me holding her in different positions as I sat in front of my computer, trying to make sure she because um, she likes to sort of, she can't stand up because she's five months old, but she likes to sort of be in a in an upright position and kind of feel like she's standing up. You know, we're kind mm-hmm. of working on that. So. Um, trying to kind of do that versus holding her and then always making sure there are a few times where she dropped the pacifier and I always had to make sure I got it back really quickly because um you know like her crying because she dropped her pacifier would have been just like you know that that would have been like the most predictable thing and I can't remember when she did kind of get a little annoyed at the end I I can't remember exactly what happened but um I don't know I thought she kept it together pretty well she really did I have not heard the podcast yet today. I was traveling and just I was listening to uh, the the dunked on um, mock off season, which is like a two and a half hour podcast. So that's what I was spending my time on my, my podcast time on today. But uh, I, I will still listen to it because I'm curious uh, how readily apparent what it was that she was uh, that she was, you know, hanging out with me. But yeah, she was uh, she was generally pretty, pretty. Uh, I think pretty good. And, um, I, 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 again, this just goes to show you, this is why the podcast is free because occasionally <laughs> you listen to me talk about basketball while holding a, a five month old baby, uh, in my, uh, in my arms. Um, I would say I, it's probably like you could count it on one hand, the number of times I knew that she was on the podcast, if that makes any sense, <laughs> which is pretty good. Like there was like one freak out at the end and then like four smaller, like, Oh, okay, he's holding the baby right now. Um, but it would only be for like 
just a second and then it'd be gone. So I, I don't think it was a big deal at all. Um, and again, like Frank said, this is free, so deal with it. <laughs> that's, that's multi. I mean, that is my best multitasking of the week right there. Yes, it was quite impressive. When you suggested the idea, I was like, I don't know if this is such a great idea, but I guess to your credit, but probably more importantly to Matilda's credit, she held it together and let us get through whatever it was, 30, 40 minutes. So thank you. Uh, to both of you. That was a, a fun experience that I was not quite ready for. All right. Uh, another fun experience that I was not quite ready for today. Dante DiVincenzo was introduced as a Milwaukee Buck. He had his introductory press conference in Milwaukee. And I guess I don't know that we learned all that much. I think the highlight of the day was something totally... I shouldn't say unrelated to Dante DiVincenzo because the whole day was about him, but uh, it was more about his dad, who we all found out is a Milwaukee Bucks fan, which doesn't make a ton of sense as they're from Delaware. And we kind of stumbled upon it as a media horde. Uh, Gennaro Armas from the Associated Press was the first one that kind of stumbled onto it. And then we ended up talking to his dad for a couple minutes about it. And apparently he was telling us that when he was a little kid in Delaware, uh, he was, you know, watching TV on their little console television and flipping around and saw basketball on it and saw a guy by the name of Lou Alcindor playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. And from that point, he was a Milwaukee Bucks fan and uh, he he just kind of committed to it. And uh, I, I was curious, you know, how big of a fan he was. And then he mentioned some of his other favorites other than Lou Alcindor were Sidney Moncrief, and then Ricky Pierce, which, if you know your Bucks history, he just rattled off. Uh, that's 25, 30 years of Bucks history. So I, I got to say, I was like, okay, this dude knows his stuff. Uh, and we, we just kind of found that out, which I thought was interesting. And then uh, Dante and him kind of tag team on a story where uh, we asked Dante about it, and he said yeah dad started going through history of the team when i told him i was working out for him and i was like pops i do not know any of these names like guys I, I don't know what you're talking about right now uh and then he also told a story about how obviously when you go to draft workouts you get you get gear from all these teams like you get some practice shorts uh, maybe a couple shirts and you have that gear and he said that he took his Bucks won home, so he's gone for, I don't know, 25, 30 days, whatever it is, how many ever draft workouts you do. He's gone for all that time. He comes back, he brings all these shirts, and then he shows his dad his Bucks won. And he's like, Dad, you should have it. And he's like, oh, no, that's going to fit you, Dante. Like that, that won't fit me. And he's like, Dante said, I told him you should try it on. And then his dad was like, yeah, he told me to try it on. And he like insisted that I do it, and I put it on, and it kind of fit. And I started jumping around the kitchen. I was so excited that I had a new Buck shirt. And it was just, I, like, I don't even know. This is like, just the strangest story I think uh, I've ever been a part of that, again, is largely – not relevant and, and won't end up mattering, but it's just this strange coincidence that this man from Delaware started cheering for the Bucks in 1968, 1969, whenever they got Lou Alcindor. And then from that point forward, he was a Bucks fan. And now his son, who's also 
from Delaware uh, and somehow managed to get to the NBA from there and kind of took this circuitous journey. And now he's on the Milwaukee Bucks. It's kind of crazy. Uh, more importantly, um, all this talk about Delaware got me thinking, you know, I, last year, um, or, or I guess it was two years ago, the, the big um, realization was uh, I enjoy, you know, of course, we enjoy coming up with nicknames uh, for, especially for, we have a history of creating nicknames for, Bucks player combinations. Of course, Bragro is probably maybe the one I enjoyed the most, <laughs> even though it isn't really a good nickname. It's just fun to say. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and, that just, it's a good nickname. All right. Like, uh, let's not disparage our own creation. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then last, uh, I guess two years ago, um, Snella Vadova, that was one that I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> and now, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo, you know, he, uh, I think what his high school coach nicknamed him the Michael Jordan of Delaware. Yep. Um, but I, and, and so I feel like we need to, we, I mean, Delaware is, is, is just a weird place to be from. I feel like that's the weirdest place to be from. Maybe. Um, not that it's, Oof. that's a good it's, question. It, it's such a random state. Like I've, I don't think I've ever, uh, I can tell you, I don't, I was just going to say the same thing. I don't know anyone from Delaware other than, I guess if you say I now know Dante DiVincenzo cause I shook his hand and met him this morning. Like other than that, I cannot ever in my life ever remember meeting someone from Delaware. Yeah. It's like Joe Biden is the only like person other than Dante DiVincenzo that if you ask me who's from Delaware, Ooh. that's the only other person I can think of. Aubrey Plaza, um, I found out. Because Aubrey Plaza was from Delaware. She did an uh, interview with Conan, and apparently they did a vote of the most famous people from Delaware, and she uh, got more votes than Joe Biden. Wow. Okay. Well, she's she's uh, she's she's great. Um, I enjoyed her in the last two seasons of Legion on FX. Uh it wasn't as good the second season. I digress, uh, but really fascinating show. Maybe the most creative show on TV. She's great. She should win awards for her work on that show. Um, it's, it's a impressive. It's like a Marvel show that is not like any other Marvel uh, show out there. But anyway, related. We at, no, as we digress, we're going to keep digressing. Um, <laughs> since I was writing this book during the NBA season, like all of the shows that I like to watch have got like pushed to the side. So I need to watch Legion season two. And I also need to watch Atlanta season two, which is like killing me that I haven't done it yet. But I also feel like it's perfect for the summer, but I'm behind on my FX shows and I need to get it done. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it is, it is, yeah, like I said, it, it is unlike any other show on TV. Legion is. Um, so if you, if you have any enjoyment of, of just creative, fascinating shows, um, Definitely, uh, I, I recommend it highly. Um, d- anyway, Delaware. Um, I was thinking, so Snella Vadova a couple years ago, and then um, I, I don't know if Dante and and Deli play together. Does that a Delava Divincenzo lineup, or is it a or is it a Delaware Dova, Delaware Dova, Della? Wow. I don't wow. something. I don't know. There's something there. I. I, I just kind of was amused by the idea of being the Matthew Della Vadova of Delaware was also kind of funny to me. Um, like if if Dante like the if the upside scenario for Dante DiVincenzo is the Michael Jordan of Delaware, the downside scenario is you are the Matthew Della Vadova of Delaware, which I don't know I don't know what that means exactly, but um, anyway, <laughs> I think I've talked about this enough. I I, I apologize for everyone uh, for having to listen to me talk about Della Vadova. 
Dova puns because don't don't apologize for it, Frank. Uh, We are who we are. So I guess some other things from the day that uh, I just generally kind of find interesting. I guess one of the things that, you know, we talked about upside a little bit last night, and I guess one of the things that I believe goes into that is I think Dante DiVincenzo's upside is significantly higher. There is an opportunity for more upside if he can play a point guard. Like we've talked in the past, uh, I mean, going back to some of our first podcasts, talking about Rashad Vaughn, that they're just upside at the shooting guard spot, like, doesn't really like exist it's difficult to uh have a ton of upside at at the shooting guard spot unless you're like a truly elite shooter just a game-changing shooter and i think if divincenzo can play point guard then all of a sudden you know maybe there is a little bit more upside there so that was one of the things i was kind of after today and uh during the official introductory press conference uh, i asked divincenzo about what he felt his long-term position and role would be with the bucks and uh he just kind of looked at me and said honestly that's that's a good question because i don't know uh, I think his exact qu- quote, honestly, that's a good question because I don't know. They can just put me anywhere on the court and give me a role to do, knock down shots, defend, rebound, just do a lot of the little things to get started and get my feet wet. Once I establish myself, my role will grow. Uh, and again, like that's, I guess, kind of good to hear that he understands that he he does need to try to fit in and he doesn't have any um i guess delusions of grandeur that you know he's gonna come in and all of a sudden be a star but you know sometimes i think it is nice to hear a guy think he has star potential and uh has that type of confidence but i don't know if divincenzo's necessarily lacking confidence because after I more directly asked him uh, when we got a chance to kind of have a little scrum with him that, you know, do you think you can play point guard in the NBA? And he said, yeah, Giannis has the ball in his hands a lot. You have Eric Bledsoe. You have Malcolm Brogdon. Those guys can all primarily handle the ball, but getting them off the ball to create other things for them, getting them shots is, I think, an ability of mine. And tightening up my handle, just being more aggressive with it, I think will really open up different lineups for us and give us the flexibility to play different guys. And uh, like I said, to me, this is this is really to me big for whether or not he has a bunch of upside is well he has a lot of upside if he can defend ones and twos he has a lot of upside if he can play the one um he has a lot of upside if he is an elite three-point shooter like there are a number of things that can create upside um i just don't know if there's a large enough sample on any of those things for us to know that it does exist but it certainly could um and i think the point guard question is a big part of you know what could give him that that higher upside yeah and i mean i i i would say the odds of him being a you know i mean when i say like upside like to me like a guy who has like big upside has i don't know and i don't know how how much people would differ on this to me it's like you know you have a you have a non-trivial chance of becoming an all-star i would say is is my my you know way of of quantifying that and whether whether that chance means there's a i don't know 10 percent, 20 percent chance i mean to me that that but those you know if to, to get any higher than that i mean you're, you're really talking about obviously like top five picks right to have a um a chance to, to really be a meaningful all-star um that you have to obviously generally be picking higher but um but yeah i mean certainly his his value increases significantly if you can put him out there 
without uh, a traditional point guard if you can put him out there um, defending both of those positions, um, being able to at least switch perimeter type guys and, and at least be you know competitive even when he's being switched on to maybe slightly bigger guys. So um, so yeah, I mean I think those are definitely questions because you know I mean and kind of there's maybe some random evidence seeing him do that a little bit in college, but again like for the most part obviously I really wasn't kind of asked to do that. So um, again I I kind of struggled. I don't you know again I don't think um, I would be very surprised if there's a star player, you know, that was just obscured by his role at at, at Villanova. Just because, again, it's not like not like he was like some highly touted recruit that then had to bide his time. I mean, he was, you know, kind of a more random recruit, right, outside the top 100. Um, but that's not to say that obviously, um, role-wise, you know, certainly there is room for a guy who kind of ticks the boxes that he does from a role standpoint in terms of shooting, um, defending guards, um, and hopefully being able to, you know, play well off the ball as well, which isn't something you necessarily think about as much. You know, you think about like catch and shoot guys, um, at the guard spots, but you don't necessarily think of guys who cut to the basket well, um, and who, you know, kind of do the kind of things that, that maybe we saw him do pretty well. Right. I mean, you see him get a lot of his dunks in college rough cuts and, you know, being able to kind of work off the ball is is obviously a skill and it's is he not gonna have some Bayless two hand alley oop two foot dunks this year? I feel like that's a good question. He kind of seems like that guy, right? Because he's better off two feet than one. That's a good question. Yeah, that that I, it was always weird because um, you know when Jared Bayless tried to jump off one foot, it's like he kind of like he used to be much more explosive when he was younger. Yep. Um, and then I don't know exactly what happened to him, but certainly by the time he was in Milwaukee. Um, if he had to jump off one foot, it was like everything just turned into like a like weak little floater. Like he couldn't, yeah. he just could not really explode that way. But you're right; they would have that like random baseline back cut alley oop play that would occasionally catch opposing teams off guard. And then Bayless, yeah, he could dunk. I feel like that's kind of Divincenzo's athleticism, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, and I'm not trying to downgrade his athleticism because it is pretty clearly there like it tests out but there is that difference between functional athleticism and just you know athleticism that shows up on a stat sheet or a combine sheet um and i I don't know why i just feel like that's going to be a possibility for him that he can he can get those type of dunks but you know the crossover get into the lane jump off the left foot throw it down with the right hand like i don't think he has that in him um, no, and, I, I haven't seen any of it, at least. Yeah, and I mean, and this is where I think, like, you know, when we talk about block and steal rates, I think the, I look at that kind of stuff too, right? Because if you're a, you know, if you in college, if you're like a crazy competitive athlete who's really strong and quick and fast, you know, then you try, you tend to acquire blocks and steals at higher rates than you know the, your average guy. He really didn't do that in college. He really wasn't a guy who tended to get steals or blocks. Which, you know, again, I, I realize you're not looking for guards to be shot blockers per se um but i do think it's weird when you know guys who are supposedly really athletic just don't block shots and don't get steals it's like why are you not like do you just have bad instincts like are you not like working hard enough on that end i mean um like i think i'd have to look it up again but i think like jalen brunson his teammate uh divincenzo's teammate who's obviously known for not being athletic i think he had like like only a couple blocks like in his entire career maybe at mm-hmm. Villanova. I mean, just kind of weird, right? It's like you think if you were 
you know, especially like playing some random non-conference scrub teams, like you'd occasionally pick up a block or two, you know, as a, you know, sneaking up on a guy or whatever. But you know, uh, just some guys just don't have a knack. I think I think Colin Sexton actually may have been the most surprising. I think he had maybe like three blocks all year, which is really weird for a guy who's known as being this like athletic bulldog. Bulldog, yeah. So I think that's always sort of like one of those things that you you always like kind of. I think look at and, and kind of I think it's a good c- question to ask. Well, why is that? Why does that guy yep. not make more plays, especially like you know defensively? Um, especially guys who are considered good defenders. So anyway, not to, to kind of get too deep into the weeds on that, um, but you know again, hopefully Divincenzo um, can make his athleticism sort of felt um, at, at least, especially on the on the offensive end. And again, defensively, I mean, I think in the NBA, especially for guards, I mean, you're looking more for, you're not worried about like him getting steals for steals sake so much as being a good positional defender. Um, you know, Tony Snell being a good example right there. Right? I mean, yeah. Snell is a very solid positional defender. Um, but, you know, again, he is not a guy who makes really plays. He does not really get steals or blocks uh, or rebounds. He's really just sort of like keeping guys near him and, being switchable like that's really tony snell's value and that's that is valuable um but it's uh but it's not you know it's not ideal let's say yeah um, so I, I i do think you know that's it's gonna be kind of where all of our questions lie with divincenzo like what can he actually end up doing once he gets out on the floor um i was trying to think through anything else that was possibly interesting uh, about what he had said but I don't think there's really all too much there. Obviously, one of the things that gets hammered home is that he's been a sixth man and he's willing to sacrifice and he's a good teammate because, well, I think the other option there for someone that was a sixth man in college would be to say, he's not good enough to start um, or whatever you might want to say there. But it, it can only really... It's either he's a great teammate that can sacrifice or he just wasn't good enough. And I think one of those things sounds like a good narrative to push and the other one maybe wouldn't be quite as much fun for your first round draft picks. So um, going through the rest of it again, uh, pretty basic stuff. Uh, Only other interesting thing, uh, Ben Steele from the Walker Journal Sentinel asked DiVincenzo a little bit about, you know, he was teammates with Josh Hart. Josh Hart was someone that, you know, found some success in the NBA uh, this past season and obviously one of his former teammates. And he asked, you know, how Hart has helped in the transition. And he said that Hart has talked them through some stuff, but also uh, Toronto Raptors guard Kyle Kyle Lowry has helped people through or has helped him through some stuff uh, as he's prepped for the draft and things like that. And again, I thought that was at least interesting because Lowry obviously went to Villanova, but also at the same time, I mean, he's uh, 10 years uh, DiVincenzo senior, uh, or at least somewhere around there. I would actually have to look it up, but I think Lowry's 31, 32, um, and DiVincenzo is 21. So um, it was kind of interesting to hear that, but again, I don't, I don't necessarily know that that means he's going to get Kyle Lowry's uh, process and results and everything that he does through osmosis of hearing the words or anything like that. Um, So I think that's about it for that. Anything else you wanted to add on that? Otherwise, we can move on to our other topic for the day. No, uh, he's going to wear number nine. I think that's the only thing else that maybe people were were interested in. So mixed bag of number nine. You know, we've had Jared Dudley wear number nine. Michael Beasley wear number nine. but nobody seems to wear number nine for more than a year. It just seems like you wear it for one year and then you, you get traded, you get released, you don't get re-signed, whatever. Um, 
we will have to hope that Dante DiVincenzo has greater sticking power than uh, the vast majority of number nines we've seen in, in recent Bucks history. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, did did Chris Copeland have number nine too? He did. Yeah. Oh, woof. Not great. Uh, that's, a, that's a rough stretch of number nines. The other thing we wanted to talk about today, and it did get brought up during the press conference, Matt Velasquez asked uh, John Horst about it a little bit, but it was the idea of, you know, the different trades that were around for the Bucks, And uh, in kind of the postmortem of the draft, we found out uh, quite a bit about, you know, what was going on in that area and some of the trades that were out there, um, obviously from a couple different sources, um, but... I guess there's Jake Fisher from Sports Illustrated wrote an article about the 16th pick of the draft, which ended up kind of being a crazy spot, and no one was really ready for that to happen, obviously. That ended up getting traded uh, as the, let's see, the Sixers traded Bridges to the Suns, and the Suns were able to get Bridges, and then also a 20... Oh, 2020 first round, something like that. 2021 for unprotected first to Philly, to Philly. Yes. Uh, so they're able to get that. And the Suns were able to get, uh, Michael Bridges, uh, while the Sixers were able to pick up Zaire Smith there. So, um, that ended up being an interesting spot. And, uh, Jake Fisher explained some of that on the low post. Zach Lowe talked a little bit about, uh, the Denver Nuggets and what they were doing after they selected Michael Porter Jr. Uh, and then another one, uh, from Travis Schlank, the general manager of the Atlanta Hawks, <laughs> not used to reporting, GM saying things like this, but uh, he said that uh, a deal ended up being on the table and then got taken off at the end. So we're going to kind of go through all of those and uh, just sort of take a look at what happened with the 17th pick because as we said the night of the draft, we were talking about, you know, possibilities of trading up or trading down and then we kind of tabled that discussion because we said, well, you know, a lot of the time we don't really know what happened. Uh, You know, we can guess and we can say, oh, they should have done this or they should have done that. But, you know, we don't really know. And we we don't we don't typically know what didn't happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like we can only just like guess and say that they should have done this, but we don't know that this deal was actually on the table. And Strangely enough, this year, because that part of the draft got so interesting, I think largely because Michael Porter Jr. ended up falling so far, and it kind of pushed the intrigue in the draft into that 15 through 18, 19 area, um, where, again, maybe there wasn't a ton of movement, but there was a ton of potential movement and a lot of moving parts. Uh, So let's do, do you have any overarching thoughts or do you want to just kind of break some of these down and see what you're thinking well i, I think it, it, the the irony is the bucks spent a huge you know spent a lot of time making it very difficult to figure out what they were doing this this time around in terms of draft prep there were no you know public media availability there were no announcements when guys came in to work out the bucks made every effort to you know shroud in secrecy what they were thinking and what they're planning to do and 
thanks to you know the reporting from Jake Fisher and others, well, thanks to Travis Schlenk, I guess first and foremost, <laughs> yeah. talking out of school a little bit, perhaps. Um, we know that that basically you know one stray uh, leak of news about who the Bucks were intending to pick seems to have basically rendered all of that prep, all of that secrecy for naught. Because um, as you'll go into, it looks like they could have very likely snagged um, Dante DiVincenzo and uh, the flask pick in the first round of the draft. Um, but because, you know, basically somebody leaked out, you know, a little bit ahead of time uh, what their plan was, um, the Hawks actually didn't have to make a potentially very nice uh, and favorable deal for the, to the Bucks. So um, again, it, it, it just sort of reminds you how little things make can make a big difference in the nba timing is everything for sure and you know again we just sort of take for granted that everything's going to leak on draft night um but this is an example where it appears it it really did hurt the bucks and i'd be fascinated to know uh if if anybody was trying to figure out you know who who let it slip <laughs> because yeah. um certainly it, it appears that it cost the Bucks potentially a, a very valuable pick. Yeah, and I, I think that one's really interesting because it, that sort of area became kind of insane. Uh, as you go through Jake Fisher's story at Sports Illustrated, uh, you heard a little bit about you know the Bucks being interested in DiVincenzo, um, and he even mentioned that uh, when it sounded like the Suns were going to take DiVincenzo at 16, that uh, multiple teams around the league had actually reached out to the Suns and congratulated them on the pick. Uh, that and again that was kind of reported it was reported by a radio guy in phoenix um but still like that was kind of where the pick was gonna go and uh, i think that's where you know people thought that was gonna happen and then all of a sudden it didn't happen uh but it, it was just kind of interesting to hear that there was I guess that level of interest in Dante DiVincenzo. And then um, for the Bucks, when you think about kind of what happened there, and I guess the way that it's described is that at 19, the Bucks and the Hawks, or at 17, excuse me, the Bucks and the Hawks were discussing a swap. Uh, the Hawks wanted to get up to make sure that they got Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter was their guy. Uh, they ended up getting him at 19, uh, but there was some thought in their draft room that, you know, they had two guys that they wanted to get. We haven't heard who the other guy is, um, but there were two guys that they wanted to draft at 19. Um, one of them was Kevin Herter. And they wanted to make sure that one of their guys got to 19. And then when the when the I, the pick for the Bucks leaked out, and again, it, I want to make sure there's one thing. My mentions when that when this story first broke, were like, oh, f Woj and f all these guys doing the reporting. And uh, I would largely say your your blame is misplaced. Yeah. Uh, F whoever told Woj or F whoever told maybe did Jonathan Gavoni have that picture? Yeah, first? it wasn't even uh, Woj. It was it was Jonathan Gavoni who broke this from, from ESPN. So, so, so ironically, yes, Woj was not actually the, the the source of this one. So F whoever did that. Like you can you can say F to who gave that person that news, but not F to that reporter because, well, 
that's not that's not on them that someone told them something that they shouldn't have told them and uh it was just kind of interesting to hear that it fell apart because uh i mean i think most bucks fans were really hoping that the bucks would go after a second round pick try to get one of those and uh no one was really not one second round pick got sold uh this past year and you know I, I think everyone was thinking that that could be the way that they get a second pick and then all of a sudden you have this trade where the bucks still get the guy that they would have taken at 17 or at least i think it'd be safe to assume because kevin herter goes 17 lonnie walker the fourth probably still goes 18 and then at 19 divincenzo would still be available uh so the bucks still get their guy at 19 and they add the 30th pick of the draft and uh, again i'm not really sure who they go after um maybe uh, i was trying to think of who they were connected to pre-draft i know wolfel had said mo wagner maybe mitchell robinson uh, was, wagner was at 25 so he went off the board but uh, elia kobo and yeah. uh mitchell robinson were on the board at that point i mean you know you can go down the list of 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 so, guys that, that yeah that could have been in play at that point so uh, and again it was because you know something in the draft room kind of went out of order right like that it should have been that you know divincenzo's camped in here that the bucks were taking him or um you know that news didn't leak out and then all of a sudden you get to have that so i mean i i think that one's significant there there were a couple of other trades that were discussed uh and that we kind of heard leak um and the other two i don't know if they're quite as attractive as that first one i feel like that one with the hawks i right like if that if the bucks pull that off on draft night i, I think we're both coming away oh, with backflips yeah right like that that's just a huge victory uh to get someone at 19 who we think is probably about as talented as the other guys that were around at 17 and then you have the 30th pick as well like that is a huge win and a great way to manage assets so Bucks don't get that. These other two, I don't think, are quite as interesting. Jake Fisher, uh, actually, excuse me, uh, Jake, yeah, Jake Fisher had said the Pacers were trying to trade up to 17 to get DiVincenzo. Uh, the Pacers were at 23. There is no other details about it. Um, there's no players that they said. There's no um, cap space money whatever um the Pacers are an interesting team because they're one of the few teams that will have cap space this summer so i suppose they could have taken on some contract from the bucks if they wanted to do a salary dump but at the same time i don't know if you really want to take on a salary dump where you're one of the few teams that will have cap room um and i think kevin pritchard has talked about how they'll have money available this offseason so uh maybe he would have tried to avoid that but either way uh the pacers were looking up uh and trying to get to 17 for divincenzo and i mean i don't really have a great idea of what that deal would be but another one that's on the table yeah and and i mean that's interesting i mean i think we've all or at least i have been sort of against using assets to to get rid of bad contracts you know i think it's like kind of exacerbating the problem right like you sign a bad contract and then you use um you know a pick or something to get rid of a bad contract and then well what do you for what right i mean i I, I am definitely in the camp of, of skepticism as far as how well the Bucks can can kind of use cap flexibility or at least directly by signing free agents. Not not to say that, again, cap flexibility isn't valuable sort of on its own because, again, you can do things like absorb contracts to get picks and things like that. But, um, but yeah, like I think actually, though, the idea of, you know, 
pick your favorite bad bucks contract, whether it's like Delhi or, or you know, uh, Henson, usually the two that get mentioned first. I mean, if, and again, we have no idea what, what would have been discussed, but, you know, I mean, if there was some trade down where you're training down six picks and getting rid of, like, a Delhi contract, I mean, again, I, I, I felt like there was a flat enough, there, the value was flat enough in the first round that, you know, again, I mean, there were, there were guys after 23 that I think you could have made a good case um, that, you know, could have been really compelling options there, especially if, you know, relative to the scenario where, uh, where you know, you, you don't get rid of that contract. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, you know, like the scenario, I mean, here's, here's one example, like, okay, if it was John Henson, again, no idea if they would have taken John Henson for, for that trade down. But in theory, you know, for argument's sake, if it was John Henson and then you trade down and you pick, you know, um, Robert Williams, right? Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You just got rid of a bad contract and you, you know, refilled it with a young guy on a cheap contract who has the potential to be hopefully better than John Henson. Well, that'd be interesting, right? Um, but obviously, we don't know. We don't know what's on the table. We don't know how close it was. Um, it's really just sort of a, a random idea that got thrown out. And obviously, uh, it didn't seem like it ever got, you know, enough traction to, to get close. Yeah. And again, this is. Of the deals that we're going to talk about, this is the one I feel least confident talking about and least comfortable talking about because there is just so few details there. Like This is one of those where we're projecting some of our thoughts onto it as opposed to actually having a better idea of what was going to happen there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it could have been interesting if maybe a salary dump was there, but also at the same time, we don't really know what it could have been. Maybe they're, I'm trying to think who else is on that roster that could potentially have been traded to the Bucks. Um, Darren Collison, maybe? I don't know. Um, I don't have any ideas. So, uh, we'll we'll leave that one there. But again, another another deal that was available because that was kind of a hot spot in the draft. Uh, and then the final one I want to talk about was from Zach Lowe on the low post from I believe it dropped on Friday uh, with Brian Winhorst and uh, Rachel Nichols. Uh, during that, Zach had talked about how Denver was willing to. Uh, they were not expecting Michael Porter Jr. to fall to 14. Zaire Smith was their guy. That was the guy that they really wanted, but they couldn't pass up on Michael Porter Jr. So once they drafted him, and as soon as they knew they were drafting him, they started getting on the phones on you know, 15, 16. Zach said for sure 15 and 17. He wasn't sure about 16. He hadn't checked yet, but at 15 and 17, the Wizards and the Bucks, uh, they were trying to talk to the Bucks about a potential trade where they would give up a future first rounder and that first rounder might have been as soon as next year uh the 43rd pick of the draft and then one of the young players who didn't play very much so uh, i think you could probably reason malik beasley or wancho or Hernan gomez both of those guys were available um at the trade deadline i think it was um so those would be kind of your guesses this one i don't know how much i would have liked uh i think with the position the bucks are in uh you know a future asset is always nice but also um the bucks kind of need some talent and i don't know if i would have been okay with this one what do you think on this one yeah this one's tough i mean obviously if you know first off you hear unprotected pick and you immediately your eyes get big because there are not many unprotected picks um on the other hand 2019 is not supposed to be a great draft at this point the you know the expectations that it's not going to be a strong draft 
and Denver you would think would be a better team next year. I mean, granted, they had the 14th pick this year, so it's not like you're talking about you know, a late 20s pick in all likelihood, but um, a good chance it will be later in the draft next year than the Bucks were picking this year, and obviously a weaker draft a year away. You know, that that's less appealing. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the flip side, though, is, well, you're getting paid with, you know, if it's Malik Be- Beasley, for instance, I mean, he's an interesting player. I mean, I liked him a lot um, coming out of Summer League last year. Um, he was an interesting player coming out of the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, and Coming out of Summer League is quite a phrase, Frank. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like, I mean, but guess what? I mean, he didn't really play much last year. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like kind of all we have. And it's yeah. it's obviously hard to really bank on like, okay, we're going to take Malik Beasley and then, you know, he's going to be a better, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know. Is he more likely to help than Dante DiVincenzo next year? I really, I really don't know because no. – you know, he's a guy who I think has kind of a broader skill set, um, you know, better body athleticism, I think, functionally than than a guy like DiVincenzo. But, I mean, he hasn't shot consistently. You know, he was not, you know, a lights-out shooter, hasn't projected to be a lights-out shooter. So, you know, again, that that's really tough if you're kind of betting on shooting guards who may not be able to shoot that well. That's, that's difficult, right? It's kind of hard to to count on that and again not that we can count on DiVincenzo to be some lights out shooter immediately but um but yeah that, that one's a bit tougher I think just because again you you maybe you get a guy who can play this year but you know again that may be kind of a distressed asset you're acquiring at that point and you know again it's it's um it's it's always difficult I mean there's there's upside and downside with with taking on future picks especially from teams that you expect to be better so um so yeah I, that one I I you know that one is certainly not a no-brainer in the way that these 17 for 19 and 30 type option was. Um, and again, kind of like you know the the other one we described with with Indiana, um, hard to tell exactly how close it was. Um, but but yeah, certainly the you know the, I think the t- big takeaway from from you know the the post draft stories were um, man the the opportunity that apparently was missed, um, not being able to get that that Atlanta trade, which. By the way, do you think Travis Link um, goes public with that story if not for the history that that the Hawks now have with the Bucks' current coach? That's like, a very interesting question, Frank. <laughs> like that's generally not considered good form to be telling you know other people about um, you know basically telling basically telling the public. Yeah, like the other, you know, another team screwed up and we we benefited from it, right? Um, so that that is a bit weird, but you know, again, also there is also some interesting history between these teams. As someone that is a fan of literature, the an untrustworthy narrator is always uh, an interesting plot device, <laughs> because again, there there would be one person that could benefit from that rumor going out, and one person. Or I guess, I mean, if we're going to talk from a team perspective, the Hawks can only look good from that coming out, and the Bucks can only look bad. There's no, there's no two ways to slice that one. Um, the way that Travis Schlenk tells it, he's the smart guy, and they're the idiots, right? And I, I would be, or, or the, or at least the idiots saved Travis Schlenk from being an even bigger idiot, right? I mean, correct. Because not, not that he was necessarily even about to do something smart, because. He was probably about to do something silly and then, you know, was saved by by the Bucks 
getting getting a bit too um, overzealous in uh, in in leaking what they what they're about to do. Correct. So I, I don't. And again, like you said, you know, maybe if Mike Boonholzer wasn't the the current coach, maybe maybe that leak doesn't happen. Um, but I don't know. It, again, it's a question that that we will never truly know. So. Uh, always kind of the fun of draft night, uh, just trying to parse through rumors and figure out which things to pay attention to and what things not to pay attention to. So uh, interesting stuff there. But I think that is uh, about it. Uh, just a quick look at the rest of the week. Uh, I believe we're going to try to do one more breakdown of Dante DiVincenzo with some of the numbers with our good friend Mike Clutterbuck. Uh, I think we're going to try to do that. And then... This is kind of weird to say, Frank, but free agency starts over the weekend. And the Bucks are in an interesting spot because we've lamented in the past how little space that they have. Um, and we've kind of talked through, you know, signing Jabari Parker, not signing Jabari Parker, how much money, what a good contract looks like, what a bad contract looks like. We've talked about all those things. Um, but that means on Thursday and Friday, we need to actually preview free agency because free agency starts Sunday morning at 12.01. Uh, so I guess Saturday night you could say as well, but, uh, we need to go through all of that and attempt to, you know, kind of break all that down for you, let you guys know what kind of cap space the bucks have, what kind of moves might work for them, what moves they can actually make. Um, and then I guess some of the scenarios as well, like, and I think the scenarios we probably have to break down is like, if this happens with Jabari Parker, if this happens with Jabari Parker, or if this happens with Jabari Parker, right? Like, to me, that's kind of how this whole offseason works for the Bucks. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to put some thought into this, Eric. So, uh, uh, you know. Research, uh, the, yeah. the, the mortal enemy of Lockdown Bucks. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to just grab a baby and just wing it, you know? <laughs> um, sometimes you can do that, but, but free agency preview, you got to actually think about it a little bit in advance. So we will do all of that. We'll have that for you at the end of the week. That is going to be what we look like going forward. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.